This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Brittany Haas from HappilyEverBorrowed.com explains how she uses style quizzes to convert customers and collect highly useful customer data. On today's episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that started a $1,500 per day business, even though she doesn't like taking risks. In this episode, you'll learn how to break through self-doubt in entrepreneurship, how to start a business when you don't like taking big risks, and why it might not be a good idea to collaborate with other brands. Today, I'm joined by Shopi Yada from Karakapas.com. That's K-H-A-R-A-K-A-P-A-S.com, which is a fashion brand with a modern take on Indian heritage and based out of Delhi, India, and started in 2015. Welcome, Shopi. Hi, Felix. Thank you for having us. Yeah, excited to have you on. So tell us a little bit more about your store, this brand, and what are some of the products that you sell? Okay, so Karakapas, um, as mentioned, means uh, pure cotton in um, local Hindi language. So what we sell is cotton clothing. Uh, primarily women's wear and the idea is to basically work with um, our local Indian crafts, motives, our heritage and give our clothing um, a modern touch through our designs and thereby making it truly global. So that's the basic idea behind the brand. Mm, Awesome. So how did you uh, get started with this? Did you have a background in fashion? Um, Actually, yes. Um, I've had uh, inclination towards design and art from the beginning And I also um, attained a degree in fashion designing and fine arts. Um, I graduated from an art college and then I did my master's in apparel design from NID. And um, then I also uh, studied in uh, Los Angeles FID for some time where I was actually studying fashion management. Uh, This is a study bit, but then I also happened to have the chance of working with a couple of design houses uh, in India. And um, also had the experience of working with some uh, fashion startups. And gradually I was able to um, reach a position where I was working as an art director in one of the e-commerce companies in India. And uh, I think it was that experience um, along with my you know, innate passion towards fashion that motivated me to start something of my own. Hmm, makes sense. So what were the, uh, the first steps towards this? It sounds like you had a lot of experience. You had a, uh, you know, fa- it sounded like a fast-growing career working all of these different uh, companies. How did you begin taking steps towards uh, starting your own business? Um, honestly, I was very skeptical about doing something of my own from the very beginning. And um, that's the reason why I worked with the various companies. But, you know, my batchmates, my friends and everybody had actually already started working on something of their own. But I was always very skeptical because the operations, the business and the risk taking side really scared me. Um, But uh, it was actually uh, the work satisfaction primarily. I just experimented with a lot of things in the design industry, but I never truly got um, an absolute satisfaction working for someone because Mm -hmm. there was always something new, something different 
something challenging that I wanted to do. But somehow, because when you're working for someone, something or the other just stops you because it's not it's not never your word. You know, it's always your boss's word or the organization or someone on your top. So I think it was that uh, passion that I really wanted to do what I really believed in my design sensibility that pushed me towards starting something of my own. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, when you are working for someone, even if you want to do something, you need approval from others. When you do have your own business, it becomes you're the decision maker and the day you can decide how you want to take things, how, what you want to spend your time on. Uh, so you, you mentioned that you're skeptical about starting something of your own. I think this is a very important topic because a lot of beginner entrepreneurs, a lot of people are thinking about starting a business for the first time, also go through this. They, you know, they, they wonder, is it worth taking that jump, taking that leap into starting something of their own? So can you talk a little bit more about this? Like, what what do you think? What what were you skeptical about exactly? What made you kind of hesitant to start your own business? Um, you know what happens is that when you're trying to do something of your own, you end up talking to a lot of people, and you know, as I say, that limited knowledge is not always very good. So I would always listen to other people, their experiences, and the kind of um, hard work and um, the effort that they had to put in, and sometimes it would not work out. Mm-hmm. And that used to scare me a little because, you know, I never had uh, a lot of financial backing to start something. I knew that I would have to do it completely on my own. And uh, I was very skeptical about taking loans from the bank or, you know, from somewhere else. And so I wanted to uh, start something which was very um, um, organically funded, you know, something that, you know, mm-hmm. I could put put in a little sum of money. And so that the risk was uh, lower and, you know, uh, so those things used to really scare me about big money, big game, you know, losing your money or your product not being accepted in the market. That little bit of, you know, um, confidence issue that happens when you haven't really tried and tested the market. So uh, those things really scared me. Besides me being a complete art person, design person, the operations and the finance and the logistics bit never came to me easily. Mm-hmm. So I was always scared about, you know, getting into um, something of my own because of these reasons. No, that makes sense. The, the, the risk is definitely there. And then when you hear so many uh, basically war stories, so, so many battle yeah. stories about about all the effort that goes in, like you're saying, and then things just not turning out the right way, it's, it can get discouraging. You start letting all these negative thoughts kind of enter your brain and discourage you from getting started for the first time. So what, what do you think uh, made you change your mind and actually start moving forward even though you were feeling this kind of skepticism, feeling this kind of self-doubt? So I had been debating this um, topic for a very long time about um, doing something of my own. I think it was a situation at work where I uh, was, I really felt stagnated at what I was doing. Um, There was um, too much frustration at work in terms of my, uh, I was not able to use my talent and my creativity to the full extent. Um, So, you know, there came a point, you know, it comes in everyone's life when you think that, okay, um, maybe this is a success, maybe it's not. But if it's not, at least you will know that you gave it your best shot. You tried it. So it was, I think, at that moment, I thought that uh, I don't care about what other people do or what they say or what happens with them. Let me just at least give it my best shot now. Because, you know, I was at that point when I started Karakapas, I was, what, 32, 33 years old. And um, I thought that, you know, this is a time where I can take this risk. Um, I do have a little bit of understanding of things. I have a little bit of maturity that I've gained in my workspace. 
Um, so why not just, and I had a little bit of savings that I could actually put into my uh, business. And I think putting all of that together, I thought that I am going to just give it a shot. See for next six months how it goes. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, I'll go back to work. You know, I'll think of something else. So I think it was that moment that I thought that, you know, let's just take the plunge. Yeah, I think it's a good way to approach it where you just kind of consider what's the worst that could happen and then deciding for yourself, can you deal with this? And it sounded like that's what you went through. You you yeah. said, let me, give me, let me take six months and try my best. If it doesn't work, like you're not, the game's not over. You can just restart or go back to what you were doing before. Uh, so did you, did you jump into this business full-time? Did you quit your job and go into it full-time or how did you set up the, okay. So how did you, in this, this kind of um, low risk tolerance, that you had again this is a very common I think feeling that a lot of first time entrepreneurs have where they don't want to take a lot of risk were you able to set up the business in a way that worked with that kind of low risk tolerance that you had yes it actually did um, so I I started a clothing label so I was always appreciated for my design sensibility and when I was working for other brands my designs always worked really well uh, the risk, the biggest risk that was involved in what I was doing was a. I wanted to work only with cotton. The material that I wanted to work was only cotton, which was a sort of risky because you know it's it's not very highly priced product. Uh, a b. There are not a lot of people who only want to wear cotton. You know, when you have a variety of materials, then you have a variety of options to work with. But I knew from the very beginning when the name, the concept was decided and cotton being my favorite fabric, I wanted to do something that was close to my heart because I knew that if I do something that's close to my heart and I believe in, then it has to be right. I do not need to do something that uh, I don't need to be in the, you know, the rat race where everybody else is doing. Let me just do something that I believe in. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I started very, very small. Um, I started from a single room in my house and I picked up two secondhand machines and um, I, I hired a, a workman, a tailor, and I started like that. So my investment was very, very low because I didn't have to pay rentals. I did not have to pay electricity bill. Anything additional was not there. It was on a very small scale. And um, so that's how we started. Uh, I did not advertise or do anything at that point of time. But uh, the minute I got ready with my first collection, and um, of course, you know, the, our social media is so good these days, I started with uh, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, I just did a small pop-up, you know, just amongst friends and family to just see the response I would get. So the, the investment was very, very low. I also wanted to know that what I think, what I believe, is it getting the same response from people? And um, I was lucky enough to get a phenomenal response in my first pop-up and the first collection that I did. And, you know, that gave me the encouragement to take a slightly bigger step. So I took very, very small steps. I did not go all out with uh, my uh, business. I just took baby steps. Mm, I like that, that you, you know, one of the issues when you have a low risk tolerance, one of the things that can make it worse is just putting way too many, investing too much. And then now you have all this stress about all these, those money that you've invested. And now you have the stress on top of the low risk tolerance and that doesn't help you make the right decisions for your business. I like that you took these kind of small steps at a time. Uh, so you, you said that you gave, you gave yourself basically six months to figure it out. Did you have specific goals that you wanted to reach before you decided, okay, this test, the six-month test, the six-month trial was a success. Let me continue. Did you have any goals in mind? 
Um, you know, when I started, the only thing that I was thinking about was that I will not um, take a loan or I would not take a phenomenal amount of money that would put too much pressure on me. Um, so I knew that uh, for the first initial investment that I made, which was of about, uh, I had invested about 70 to 80,000. And I thought that I would let that money, and I'm talking about rupees. So I thought I would let that money um, actually churn. It should become a cycle that whatever I've invested should get me some return and I should use that profit to invest back into the business. Mm -hmm. So that is the thought process I had in my mind. And I, I had expected that I would what, sell maybe about 40 to 50 dresses, you know, in like probably initially. And I thought maybe I'll sell about... Um, about 100, 200 dresses in the first two or three months. And that was the figure I had in my mind because I had just no idea of how the market is going to respond, the pricing, anything, nothing I knew. But it just worked really well. It just kicked off. I got an overwhelming response. The demand increased so much. In fact, you know, when I started, I wanted to do only uh, Facebook or exhibitions or things like that because I was not very tech savvy and I just didn't know how am I going to set up a website or do something like that. But the response that I got in the first one month was so so good that I knew that I immediately have to set up a platform where I, where I don't need to take calls from people about, you know, this is the design, this is the sizing, this is the pricing. But I have a platform where people can go and see Okay, so this is what she has, this is what she's offering, and they can just pick up. So that was the initial motivation for me to even set up a website when I started. Mm, so you actually didn't have a website at first. You were just on social media and people were yes. emailing you for orders? Yes, that's how it happened. The first month was just like that. Mm, that, that makes a lot of sense too. Again, I really like your approach where uh, this, I think, works perfectly for anybody, again, with low risk tolerance. Like you don't have to have a site. You don't have to set up everything at once. Initially, you don't, you, you don't want to get too involved, you know, in, in, in a sense. You want to basically find what's the fastest, what's the easiest, and, you know, what is the cheapest as well way to, to, to start uh, getting sales. And it sounds like that's what you did. And you only open up a store, you only open up, open up a site when it made sense, when you actually needed to do it. Um, and just for anyone that wants to, to know the conversion rate for that initial investment, I think that's about 1100 1200 US dollars for, for your initial investment of yes. 70 to 80,000 rupees. Uh, so the first customers you got, you mentioned, I think earlier, pop-ups. Were these like physical in uh, pop-up shops, pop-up stores, or were you selling mostly through social media? Um, so initially, it was when I launched, I started with a pop-up, which was like a small um, exhibition, a physical exhibition that I did. Um, I had called people through messages, Facebook invite, and all the people I knew, friends and family, and um, friends and friends of friends, I called them. And there was a small event that was happening locally. And I thought that I'll also put up my brand there and see uh, the response I get. So I had probably invested uh, somewhere around uh, $200 for that pop up that I did. And um, that, that, that gave me a that was around 1st of February is when I launched it. I think 3rd Feb was the exact date when I actually exhibited last year, 2015. And um, again, I had about 50 designs with me and I went there. And the response I got was just phenomenal. And there were people who were calling me after that because I had my visiting card. They'd taken my visiting card. They went on the website. They liked my page. They started following me. They started calling me. 
and they wanted to come to my house to see stuff and at that point I didn't even have like a physical space so it was just like a room and I had one rack where my clothes were hanging and I'd converted a small room into a space where people could actually come and see but you know honestly what really works well I think it's worldwide is that women would do anything for clothes they would go anywhere and they would actually do anything if they have they like something and they want to pick it up so my my customer being women it was um, they all actually made the initiative to come to see to buy from and they placed orders of what they saw and uh, this was in the the month of feb and by march i already started thinking about actually having a online uh, space to start showing that stuff because it was it would be um, financially not very expensive and my reach would be greater with lower investment and uh, i think by at first april is when i actually went live when i did my first sale online Mm, that's awesome. So I think, uh, again, your approach is awesome that, that you you just took one step at a time. You didn't have to go too big right away. But were you ever concerned about trying to, I guess, uphold an image of your business being bigger than it is? Because, you know, this is, I think, a common thought that a lot of entrepreneurs have, which is that they don't want to launch right away. They don't want they want to wait as long as possible because they want to make everything perfect and come out with a big splash, right, and have a big brand, big image and make it appear that their brand is, brand is bigger than it actually is. Did that ever cross your mind that, you know, you're worried that people will come to your, your house and just go browse through your room's uh, rack for clothing? Like, was that ever a concern for you? Actually, it was. And um, I was a little because, you know, I'd worked in corporate sectors. So I saw how things are supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to be branding, imaging, you work with ad agencies and, you know, you're very demanding about, you know, your client and the brand you want to build. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I was very, very confident about and very sure about was A, my quality and B, the product that I was making, I knew it would be unique. I was sure about my design sensibility. And I knew that, you know, I really cannot go very big in terms of, you know, investing in branding marketing because it would be too expensive. Um, So I knew that I need to make a good product. And if you make a good product and you do not compromise with, you know, your basic principles and what is holding you together, then I think eventually, slowly, things do turn out in your favor. So Kharak and, you know, Kharak Kapas has been like, a big um, example for for myself too, you know, actually setting an example for myself too, because I actually just did not do any, any paid marketing to make the brand. It was all very organic and because of the product I made. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, on one hand, it scares you. You think that, you know, you should not be seen as, you know, just any other brand or something that's not very professional. But I think because I was, I had the privilege of speaking with my customers directly on one-on-to-one basis. So they got the confidence that, you know, this is someone who's really passionate about what she's doing and she promises the quality and she will deliver. So I think that helped me get my clientele and build that trust in people from the beginning. Yeah, that makes sense. So the the pop up shop that that you and uh, you started with, uh, I think there's also another strategy that a lot of people can start with. That's uh, you know relatively low cost. You don't have to go all out and and buy a website and set everything up. Yeah, you can just start selling in person. Tell us a bit more about how this was set up. Was this at like some kind of uh, you said an exhibition? Were there other sellers yes. around you? 
Yes, so there was this exhibition that I'd heard of because I wanted to go very small and I didn't want to invest a lot of money. So I knew that if I do something just completely on my own, it probably will not get me the right footfall. You know, the right kind of people who would probably come to uh, come to see my stuff. Mm. So I actually um, there was a small exhibition that was happening locally, and uh, these were professionals who keep doing these pop-ups and exhibitions, and they call a lot of other brands. And they have, uh, you know, shortlisted their clientele over a period of few years. So they know the sort of people. So I first met the organizer and I told them that, you know, I'm just starting out. I just want a small space. I can't invest too much money. So I got a stall for about uh, 10K. Again, I, as I mentioned, it was about $200 and I $150-$200. And I said that I will set up the space. It was a two-day event. And from morning to evening. And I said that uh, I cannot take something big. I want something very small. And they saw my product, they said, you know, that you will do well, you can take a bigger space. But I said, no, I'm not sure I'm to take something very small. And they had their guest list. I had created an event on Facebook. I invited people. I sent WhatsApp messages to all my friends, my family, you know, my relatives, everybody who I could think of. And so we had a decent footfall. A lot of people came. A lot of people saw the products. They uh, got they obviously got to know of me. Uh, the only thing was that the reach was local. It was it was just, you know, within the region, within Gurgaon. It was not something that was outside Delhi or Gurgaon. So the reach was that way, very small. But it definitely helped to spread the word around. And it uh, definitely got a lot of people to come to actually visit me personally at my space at home, which was the next step of me actually thinking about setting up a small studio and setting up an online portal to actually start selling. So every every step have helped me to take the next step or made me feel or realize that, you know, okay, I can take one step bigger now. Mm. So that really helped. So when you when you reached out to your, your media network or your friends and family to promote this uh, this pop-up shop, um, you know, I think a lot of people that, that get started, they do the same things, which is to try to sell their products essentially or promote their products to their their network at first but the goal is always to break beyond that right you don't want to just sell to your friends and family because they're they're limited you're not going to be able to sell you're not going to run a business just from friends and family so this initial pop-up even though you were only reaching out to your media network did it also reach to people beyond just that network like how did it spread to more than just your 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 friends and family um, actually, you know, initially when I had thought about um, even before I actually did this pop up, I had actually started my my I put my products on Facebook and I was actually selling through um, um, this uh, uh, Etsy. I'm sure you've heard of it. Etsy is mm-hmm. a marketplace which is global. So I, the idea was basically to sell internationally. I thought that the product that I'm making would probably not do very well in my own country because, you know, uh, the prints were very ethnic, very, uh, you know, I was working with local crafts, but my designs were very Western. It was very wearable. It was very modern, something very basic and minimalist. But what happened in the process was that I got a lot of eyeball from the Indian market also. I think it was, I personally feel what my understanding is, it was uh, through um, uh you know, the people who connected with you on Facebook, you know, when you know how it works when someone likes your post, it's, it just gets someone else's attention also. Uh-huh. And, you know, you share it and someone else also gets to know about it. Someone who might probably be not not be my friend, but someone's friend. The whole networking process work, works well. 
So I think that's how I also got a lot of uh, attention from people who were not my friends, but because obviously the account was public and they shared. So a lot of other people got to know about the brand and they liked the designs and they inquired about it. So it was through that. It was through uh, friends of friends. The immediate friends and family, obviously, they do not, they don't even, um, uh, they didn't even invest into the brand so much at that point of time. It was much later, but it was friends and friends of friends who actually showed interest and who actually wrote to me and who connected with me to actually come and see the designs. So it was almost a, a kicking off a launching point just to yes. first promote to your friends and your family and because of them liking or sharing your, your products that you're posting online, that's spread to others. Uh, yes. So when you, I think this is something I've heard a lot from other entrepreneurs that uh, took the same steps as you, which is to sell physically offline first, which is that they learn a lot about about their customers, their customers' objections to buying, like their, the questions that they were asking that they might not have learned from just selling online from the start. Do you remember anything specifically when you were selling in person uh, with a pop-up uh, that you don't think you would have been able to pick up if you just sold online? Of course, you know, one one of the biggest thing is that, you know, since you're working with something new, something different, you want to actually see how your product falls on your customer. You want to see that how the customer, what the customer thinks about the fabric, what the customer thinks about the design sensibility, um, the sort of responses, always a little bit of feedback that you get from people when you speak with them personally. So those things make a huge difference. So the kind of feedback I got about the falls and the fit was very important because, you know, I buy in general, the kind of clothes I made, it just attracted women above the age of 30. And they are always not the skinniest and they always don't wear, you know, the petite fits and all. So for them, it was very important to touch and feel the fabric and to for me to see how it's falling on my customer. That was very important to see the product on a customer. So that kind of experience I only got when I spoke to my customers. Then, you know, I experimented with some fabrics which probably had not been worked on. For example, I worked with a very fine quality of cotton called Malmal, which is very lightweight, which a lot of people don't work with. But I wanted to do just planes and solids. But I didn't know the response I would get. And when I actually saw customers wear it and see it, I got a very positive response about it. And then I realized that this fabric is probably going to be uh, something that's going to be a major part of my uh, uh, clothing line or my collection because the fabric was really appreciated by people. So even in cotton, you have so many varieties and then you experiment with that and then you present that to your customer and then you know that what is actually kicking off and what is not, what is working really well, what is probably not working so well. So that kind of response you only get when you speak to your customers. Mm. Do you remember if there were there any, because it sounded like you you uh, wanted to see how the clothing looked on your customers, but did you also uh, try to ask any specific questions to get useful feedback out of these interactions with customers in person? Yes, of course. I spoke to them about, um, you know, how what do they think about um, the cuts and the silhouettes and, you know, how, how do they feel the fabric falls on them? Uh, because there are a couple of brands who do cotton clothing as well. But uh, I think what differentiated Khara Kapaso, my brand, from those brands was my design sensibility. Because my designs, there were a lot of variety in designs and it was a little more modern than the regular um, uh, designs that were available in the market. So I wanted to understand that what do my customers think about it? Or, or you know, will I be able to attract the sort of uh, sensibility I want to be attracted towards me? Um, because cotton is something that people want to wear, but you know, the kind of silhouettes I do, it was a certain kind of customer who would have been attracted towards me. And what I realized was that, um, I was quite right there because there's a segment of, 
um, you know, women in that category who liked my clothes, the ones who wanted something very minimalistic, something that is very comfortable, something that was really soft on their skin. And that's exactly what I got to hear from my customers again and again. And of course, there were some people who told me that, you know, your clothes are very expensive for cotton. There are some people who came and told me that your clothes are so reasonable. So then I realized there's always going to be a variety of customers. So I really don't need to work on my uh, pricing based on, you know, what the customer is going to buy. But what I think is the true value of my product and then the right customer who actually understands that will come to me on, you know, on their own. Mm. So that's how I, that worked for my pricing also, because, you know, I got a, a lot of people the same. Imagine the same exhibition. There are about 10 women who walked in, two who said that I'm highly priced, two who said that it's OK, two who said I'm underpriced. And there were some who just picked up, you know, four or five pieces and walked off. So I realized that, you know, it's going to be that that percentage of people who actually know that what I'm doing is is fine and they really appreciate the fabric so i really don't have to worry about my pricing i don't have to worry about my fits and things like that that i got to know only after meeting people because otherwise what happens what i've realized over a period of time is sometimes you know there are people who'll come and write you feedback or send you a message or say something about you know you're very highly priced and then you start thinking you know when you don't interact with the customers you don't meet them then you think that oh maybe everybody thinks we are so highly priced mm. but when you do these physical uh, you know pop ups and you interact with people then you get to know about what they actually think about the fabric what do they think about the, your quality what do they think about your pricing and then you know you can actually fathom that information over a period of time to understand whether you are in the right direction or not and whether you are doing the right thing or not and you know those things really make a huge difference in shaping up the brand eventually yeah yeah i like that i like that when you go and talk to people these people in person it, it humanizes the feedback a little bit more and gives you uh, I better understand the nuances of why they feel a certain way, right? If someone online sees your product and sees that it's overpriced <clears throat> or they think it's overpriced, they just may leave and never come back. But you will never know, you know, why exactly do they feel that way. But if it's in person and they express that to you, you can at least get the opportunity to dig a little bit deeper, understand more about their thought process about why they think it's a certain, why they think it uh, might be overpriced. So I think uh, having that opportunity to follow up with questions and, and understand the nuances that's only possible in person and not, not possible online. And the other important thing that you mentioned was about getting this conflicting feedback. Like you're saying, some people are saying that your prices were reasonable and then equally people are saying that they were too high. And I think the important point to take out of this is that you cannot please everybody and you shouldn't try yes. to please everybody because when you do that, then you end up pleasing nobody, right? And you should really focus your t attention. And I think this is exactly what you're getting at, exactly what you did, which is focus your attention on the people that are already uh, your ideal customers, that they're already ready to buy. You don't have to spend so much time convincing them and focus on them rather than trying to focus on people that are so far away from buying and trying to convince them because it's not worth your time. So um, I want to talk about, so far we've been talking about these little steps that you've been taking so uh, you know, so that, that, that uh, built on top of each other and that weren't too large that made you uncomfortable. Do you remember, were there any other any steps that you took along the way that maybe you felt were too big or maybe too early and maybe, maybe could have, uh, you could have waited a bit before taking a leap? Um, yes, uh, but you know, the thing is that what I figured out is that initially, of course, when I started, and I've been lucky to have a very supportive family, I must mention that because they really, really helped me calm down because there were moments when I would just lose my cool and I didn't know what I was doing. 
um i think the the, the things that i did initially was that i collaborated with a couple of stores which a lot of people do but i somehow personally now at this point feel that it's not really necessary for everyone to do that at least not for me um is when you collaborate with stores is basically when you're trying to expand your brand how do you do it a you have a online presence then you do you collaborate with some online stores who probably also you know they have a bigger market base they have a bigger clientele so it helps to you know uh, spread the word around or it just increases the brand visibility of your uh, label um and then you also collaborate with some physical stores who actually retail your clothes so really nice stores who do a lot of other designers also but uh, in my case i feel that you know initially i did enter into a phase where i did collaborate with a couple of um, online market space uh for a short duration of time which was i would say maybe about a month or two months uh a couple of things that i realized was that it was absolutely unnecessary for me to do it uh because my own sale uh through uh my own store uh, uh my web store was increased so well and at a steady phase uh, that you know that collaboration uh was not really required for me i thought that it was sort of um, you know it just uh, diluted the brand a little bit for that some time because it was not really required i i thought that you know if i spread if i expand to other markets pl- uh, places it would just help to spread the word around but um, i i was uh, you know smart enough to actually withdraw my brand uh, very soon because i realized that i'm getting a lot of orders but the thing is that you know other stores also eat in a little bit of margin and that for a small player like me i thought was not fair because i was putting in so much effort and hard work and even giving that you know 30% to 25% of margin of my sale to someone else i thought was uh, something that i should not have done uh, but as i mentioned it was just a learning i mean i realized soon enough that it's there's no rush there's no hurry to spread the word it will happen slowly slowly Yeah, I think um, that I mean it makes logical sense, right? It makes it makes sense that that when you talk about it, that you if you want to grow your brand, collaborate with other people that have similar uh, target customers as you, that have similar audiences, and work together to grow it. But you found that it was maybe too early. Do you find? Do you know that if there's a certain time where that might make sense, especially for for a fashion brand to start thinking about collaboration? Should you have a much more established brand before you consider that as a potential marketing asset? channel um so i think it's both ways um initially when if you if you don't want to really build a brand and you just want to increase the sales without building building a brand then you can just collaborate with a lot of people because that will definitely increase the sales but in my case i obviously knew that i have a niche product and that's why wherever i would put my product my sales were phenomenally good so i realized that the you know that that thing that made me understand was that I have the potential to make it really big and increase my sales immensely. I just have to make sure that I get enough eyeballs and I'm able to present my work in the right manner and through right channels. Uh because if I was getting good sales when I put a uh, you know a flash event somewhere and I got very good sales but I, but somebody else ate up that percentage of my margin. So then I realized that the product is good. I'm getting such good sales in such a short duration of time. Then might as well use that energy to actually focus on my own product, my own platform, my own shop, and try getting more um, eyeballs there instead of actually doing it with someone else. Mm. So I feel that you know that that is something that I understood at that point of time. Now that you know I have 
I've established and I know that people know about the brand and I I, I do uh, quite well in my exhibitions and which I continue to do actually what I started doing uh, sometime back now probably um, I, 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 I'm very picky and choosy about the events that I do because I know I've reached that stage where I can be picky and choosy about where I want to be seen where I don't want to be seen so I feel that that I still do and I will probably continue doing because it helps me build on one-to-one with my customers and they always want to meet the brand owner, the face behind the brand they want to meet. If I am a customer, I want to know who's making my clothes or who's making my furniture. I think that really gives me a lot of trust and faith in the brand. So I always want to keep that, those doors open with my customers. I also now have started retailing through uh, physical stores. But again, now I'm very picky and choosy. I I know that uh, which store is going to, which collection is going to work with which store because I have a better understanding of the market now. I know that in Southern Half, you know, this is the kind of stuff that works better. In North, this works better. In this city, this works better. So I'm also very, you know, I make my capsule collections and I give it to the right store and I keep my product line accordingly based on, you know, what sort of customer I'm going to receive in that area. So that experience I have gained now. And now I feel that now if I get collaborate with people, I will be doing it the right way. Mm, so it sound, sounds like the collaborations, they take just as much effort as if you're just to focus specifically on your own brand, on your own products. And it might pay off in the short term because of the influx in sales, but it doesn't pay off as much long term for your brand directly, your own products directly. Because again, it takes as much effort, but then it's diluted between you and the potential people that you're collaborating with is that what you're getting at with why you, yes okay also because there are so many other brands that are there and probably there is you know i think sometimes your brand just gets sabotaged because you know it's not visible or you don't get justice in terms of visibility and the way you would want to portray your brand when there are so many other brands so mm. that also happens so i think it's important to be a little picky and choosy about um, how and where you want to put your brand and what are the kind of customers you know would be attracted towards your brand. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, almost specific to maybe fashion specifically this idea of uh, being picky about where the collaborations being picky about where your your brand is being seen um, and where your products are being seen can you talk a little bit more about this like how do you well a you know why do you feel that 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 it's important to be aware of where your what your brand is associated with your with your products where your products are located and uh, how do you make that decision on whether you should have your products uh uh, at a particular place or not? Um, you know, this is something which I realized uh, when I did an exhibition. Actually, honestly, I'll tell you what happened was since I'm I'm based in the northern part of India, so my understanding of the South, um, Bombay, Chennai, Bangalore was not too much or too high. I've traveled to those places, but then I realized that I was doing very good sales down South. And I'm a Delhi-based brand. The fabrics I use is cotton. Um, but uh, and the, I work with local crafts, uh, artisans and crafts, which um, I mean, those crafts are, all, of course, you know, I source things from all across the country. But my sales are very good in Bombay. And that's when I thought that I should actually do a physical uh, pop up in Bombay to see that, you know, if I'm getting such good sales and, you know, you get your data and you know that you're doing so well in the certain part of the country, then I might, might as well go visit there and do a pop up. Mm-hmm. So when I went there and I saw, I realized that it's the couple of things that a people there 
they understand the sensibility of my clothes and my designs. Uh, B, the climate conditions are such that, you know, cotton works so well there and people want minimalism. They don't want a lot. They want clean cuts. They want nice silhouettes. So I realized that, you know, it's important for me to actually go and focus on these regions more I, because that, that's, that's my potential customer. And that's going to actually um, help me grow and build a brand there. Then secondly, what happens is that if, you, if you're working so hard on your product, you know, when you're actually putting, for example, in our case, we do everything in-house. Um, I have a full setup here now. And I have about um, a team of around 25 to 30 people. And we make, we do everything in-house, you know, from, uh, we source our uh, uh, fabrics, we, our printing happens here, our designing happens here, finishing, stitching, everything happens here. So this helps us keep a very good control over quality. Um, I can't imagine getting things done outside or outsourcing it because I think my quality control will go down because I can't supervise things. I can't see everything, every little bit that is happening. And, you know, when you put in that much effort in, in making your product, then you then you want to place your product at a place where that, that is going to be appreciated, where you know that people have an eye to detail, where they actually understand the simplicity of the design. You know, the the um, the uh, basically the, the finish of the product that you've made. And there are uh, specific stores and there are certain um, uh, labels who actually focus on products like that. So then you want to be associated or you want to be, uh, you want to build your brand on those lines and you want to be associated with stores or names or brands like that. Because you know that they will appreciate the hard work that you've put in. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like I was saying, some certain a lot of industries, the, the goal is just to get your products everywhere. It doesn't matter where the the location, doesn't matter where, uh, what the products are nearby. Just try to get everywhere. But with fashion, uh, specifically, the surroundings make a difference in the way you perceive the the brand. If it's in a you know associated with it, can it, people a lot of customers will associate your products with others depending on how close they are. You know, in the same stores or in the same locations i think it makes a difference specifically for fashion versus other other industries so i think it's an important thing to think about uh you know being picky about where you list your your products uh, so i want to talk about your experience on etsy uh, because i think this is a, a a pretty common starting point for a lot of uh, independent fashion labels that are starting up for the first time tell us about your experience on there like how did you get started and what was uh, what was it like selling through etsy it has actually been very um very simple and easy because, you know, the platform is, uh, it's very easy. You can just click your pictures. You really don't need much of professional help to do anything. I think the simplicity of the process makes it uh, very easy and encouraging for, you know, for startups and small uh, labels and brands and small business holders to actually start working on a platform like that. So um, for me, it was again the same thing. I knew that I would get, you know, a very good response. Um, I happened to have lived outside India and I knew that the kind of sensibility and the designs that I want to work with is going to do very well in the international market. And also the, you know, I wanted to uh, take Indian crafts on a global platform and I knew that Etsy would, you know, make it really easy for me because I really don't have to worry about setting up something or, you know, too much uh, uh, tech support or anything like that required me being a non-techie person completely. And um, that's how it, it actually happened when I thought that I should try doing it. 
but what is uh, what is really interesting is that in the process of doing that, I realized that there were a lot of people from from you know India or you know the local customer who started contacting me, who actually saw my products on Etsy, who saw my products on Instagram, and they started contacting me. And that's when I realized that I have a huge potential in the Indian market as well, because I was under the impression that it's just the global market that's going to work for me. It's outside India because the sensibility probably will not work well in my um, you know locally. But I was absolutely wrong because it really worked well in the Indian market and I got a very good response. And it's at that point of time when I actually thought about setting up uh, my own web store. Mm. So when you did set up your own your own uh, website, did you uh, did you were you trying to find ways to migrate your customers to buying directly from the website rather than through Etsy? Um, yes, that was one thing. Secondly, I also wanted to focus on the domestic market. So it becomes easier for uh, customers locally to shop uh, from uh, my own web store in India rather than shopping it from Etsy. Mm. So there was always a confusion that do you ship in India? What is your pricing in rupees? And, you know, questions like that that were being asked. So I thought it makes more sense if I have my own. And also, you know, the creative freedom is more when you have your own web store because you can you can probably present your uh, designs the way you want to. Uh, with Etsy, uh, the only problem that I found was that, you know, my uh, the ability to uh, design my website or to, you know, put my things or the kind of uh, uh, layouting I wanted, I was not able to do all of that. Uh, so it was a, a, a formatted uh, uh, module and I was not able to experiment a lot with those and I was not able to divide it into various categories the way I would actually want my web store to look like. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have my own store, my own space, which was also because, you know, you don't have to actually go through the search engine, but you just go on karakabas.com and you just log on and you just have a look at the design. The one thing that held me back or I thought about could be a problem or the feedback that I got from a lot of people was that, you know, you will not get any traffic because nobody goes, you know, randomly on a brand mm-hmm. name and starts shopping. But that in my case actually um, was not true. Because um, the the response that I've got from the day I built my own web store has been um, a scale up. It has every month the sales have only increased, and um, and I really haven't, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I really haven't done a lot of paid marketing or anything like that. I think it is Facebook, it's Instagram, and it's just you know working with good products, clean website, simple process, everything very transparent, and it was just it just worked very well for me. At least enough that I could have handled. I uh, what I could have done in my capacity in a year I was able to handle the pressure I was able to handle the work I was able to expand slowly organically uh, comfortably through my own web store Mm. and you know speaking of expanding comfortably expanding at your own pace did you ever feel like you know that you should kind of kick things up to a higher gear and move faster did you ever get this kind of um, urge to do that and how did you handle that Actually, I used to get a lot of, I still get a lot of advice where people have actually told me that I should start looking for investment. And uh, there are people who have offered investment. Um, There are, uh, you know, uh, friends, uh, not friends, I would say, but uh, um, basically people I've known um, who've actually work in the finance department or probably, you know, who are into investment banking and who are into uh, uh, the investment sector. They have told me that, you know, it's time that, you know, you should start looking for investment because you've built such a big brand and, you know, you can just go bigger and bigger. You can have stores, you can have international presence, you can have all of that. 
But the reason that um, uh, I did not do it uh, is because I felt that, you know, the reason why I created Karakapas or created my label was A, for creative satisfaction, for full control over what I was doing. Because for me, it was not a money-making, uh, you know, machine. It For me, it was like all my creative energy being utilized in the right manner through my own label, where I had control over everything, where I knew exactly it was more from heart than mind. And I didn't want to lose that at any point of time by taking external investment. And um, the way I see things, and luckily, you know, I've been able to, you know, uh, churn out enough money to reinvest in the business again and again. So I really never had that urge or the desire to actually uh, take external investment or uh, to, you know, just, just expand overnight or do something like that. I wanted to go slowly, step by step. And I think that, you know, the pace at which I'm moving is is good enough, very comfortable. And I can actually see the brand now going really, really big from where yeah. we've reached so far. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about that. I feel like the a lot of times we hear from uh, the entrepreneurship world that you should go out of your comfort zone all the time and go faster than you're comfortable with. But I think, I think there is definitely a space and a benefit to going at your own pace because especially if you want a specific lifestyle that you want to create out of this, you don't want to just be working just for, for the, the revenue, for the money, and you actually want to create a lifestyle out of it. I think it is important to really consider what is comfortable for you what pace is comfortable what kind of marketing is comfortable for you and always think about what is actually going to be comfortable for you because that's only that's the only thing that's going to be sustainable over the long term you can't force yourself to be uncomfortable for too long otherwise you'll just burn yourself out um, so you know you said that, uh, that you've done very little paid marketing maybe none at all and it's basically through Facebook and Instagram tell us a little more about that like what's your strategy been on there to to drive traffic and sales to your to your website um it's a little bit of uh, facebook marketing that we do uh in when it comes to paid a bit the rest is just collaborating with uh, with you know bloggers local local bloggers and doing uh, what we actually i think that what has worked really well for us is that we get a very good response from our customers all across the world they share images of our products and they tag us um they always write their feedbacks and have been we've been very transparent about it it's all out on the social media. And I think that really has worked well for us in terms of getting more and more people to actually come and see the brand and, you know, shop from us. Um, in terms of paid bit, we do a little bit of Facebook marketing, which is not very high, which is very minimalistic and uh, just collaborating with a lot of bloggers. But again, those collaborations, we don't do paid collaborations. They are just people who like what we do. They like our clothes. They like our sensibility. And they want to write about us. And we, uh, they, they, they pick their uh, stuff and they want to write. They do some shoots. And we just share everything on Facebook. And I think that's how it has worked for us. And we've also in the process got covered by some, you know, local journals, some magazines and um, people who've liked our work, who've seen us in an exhibition or who have bought something from us. And they happen to be from, you know, uh, one of these magazines. And um, and then that's how it's worked. And that's how we've got covered by social media also. I mean, it's it's not been I don't even have a PR person as of now to actually start um, to uh, work on my PR bit. It's just been very organic. 
Mm, yeah, sounds great. I think that's one of, again, another benefits of uh, starting a fashion uh, brand is that it's highly visible. If people love your products, they're going to want to share it because it makes them look better, it makes them look good. And did you find other ways? Do you find ways to encourage people to share uh, the products, uh, your products, and uh, then wearing the, the products uh, on social media? Of course. I mean, we uh, we always write to our customers. We, we send personalized notes to all our customers and we request them that they should share uh, what they wear. And we want to see them style our products because, you know, what is really important is that we've made a product and we, we feel that it, it, it we, we style it and we shoot in a certain manner. But what is really interesting is to see people all across the world because, you know, we have like somebody from Delhi styling it in a certain manner. We have someone from Australia styling in some uh, a certain manner. There's a customer from UAE who probably has picked up the same product and has styled it differently. Mm-hmm. So we, we encourage our customers to share images and we've been so lucky and so blessed that our customers do that. And uh, they, they send us pictures, they post pictures on Instagram, on Facebook, they tag us and we share those pictures. Um, and, you know, it's it's out there. Everybody sees it. And I think people really like that, that we, are, we share our Im- we share those images with them. We thank them for sharing that. It encourages other people also to actually, you know, experiment with the looks. And I think it's just become like, you know, every day I get up in the morning and I see I have some or the other image that some customer has worn and they've shared it with us. And they love it when we share it on our social media and we love it, too. So it's just like a very personalized sort of a relationship that we built where we just we just share our experiences and we share our customers' feedback, their images. They, they write testimonials for us. We don't ask them to write, but sometimes they just post because they're very happy. So I think it's just it's just been like that. It's just something that just happened on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you started this business last year in 2015. Uh, you've been growing at a pace that's comfortable for you. Can you give us an idea of how successful the business is today? Um, um, the Right. As of now, we started with about, you know, a couple of orders in the first month. But, you know, on an average, we do we do we do an average sale of about five hundred to fifteen hundred dollars in a day sometimes, which I think for us is very good because uh, it is uh, actually more than what we can handle right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also do a lot of uh, pop ups. Um, which I mentioned in exhibition where we do a very good sales sometimes, you know, we, we do ab- about a couple of uh, thousand dollars in an event, which works very well for us because, it, but you have to prepare for the exhibition and then you do an exhibition, you do very good sales. We also sell through uh, a couple of stores right now. So we've collaborated with about four or five stores and uh, we get about, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred um, um, dollars sale every month from there. So it's just been growing like that. We're just trying to expand our channels of sale. Uh, we're trying to expand. Uh, we're hoping that we will be able to expand our sales on our own website by introducing more product lines more frequently. So we initially we started, we've just finished one year plus. So we've done about five collections so far. We're thinking of doing probably more collections more often because, you know, now we have, have repeat customers. So they're always constantly looking for something new on the website. So there is one part where we try to, you know, get more customers, new customers. And then there are old customers who are always looking for something new. So I think our endeavor is actually to start doing some new collections more frequently, tying up with more stores, doing more pop-ups to increase our sales. And um, yeah, so that's about it. That's what we're focusing on right now. And of course, we, we also have a little bit of international presence. We do sell internationally through our portal, but we also... Uh, have a couple of stores who pick up pieces from us and who sell internationally. Um, so we do have that sort of uh, a presence. And we're also trying to open um, our own store very soon. 
uh, we do have a studio where customers come here our workshop comes studio where people come and shop but we've been asked by a lot of people to actually have an independent physical store of our own and uh, that's what our goal for uh, uh, this year is that if we can set up a physical store um, at least locally um, in delhi and cr and then probably think about um, expanding it um, all across probably in other cities as well Awesome. Yeah, sounds like a lot of great success, especially just within uh, uh, about a year of being in business and also a very bright future based on what you're telling me. So, you know, thanks so much for your time, Shilpi. Karakapas.com. Again, that's K-H-A-R-A-K-A-P-A-S.com. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out they want to follow along with what you guys are up to? Um, yes, of course. You can follow us on Instagram. Uh, we are very active on Instagram and uh, Facebook also. So our Instagram account is Instagram Karakapas. So you can hashtag or you can find us there. And um, so we generally keep it updated with what we're doing and what's what's happening next. Awesome. Yeah, we'll link all that in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for your time, Shilpi. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.